Amen. Praise the Lord. So as you can see on the screen in front of you, today we're continuing in our, uh, in our series of the seven pillars of the church. And I've shared this time and time again. What are seven pillars? Well, they're simply seven truths about the church. Seven truths about the church. And today we're going to look at the sixth pillar. The church is the community of believers. And it is essential in understanding the nature of the church. That's the whole point of this. If you were going to look for a church, what qualities would you look for in a church? And out of all of the seven pillars, this one in particular we are going to do in two sessions. So today is, is going to be part one. Um, and we're going to focus primarily on, on part one of this. You know, there are many questions that people have today regarding the church. What has been called the church has changed a lot in recent years. Some people believe that the church is unnecessary and it is optional. Therefore, the church is one of several options available to the person on Sundays. And there is an understanding there that the church only meets on Sundays. There are some that believe that church is only a tradition practice. In other words, it's just another form of religion. Some believe that the church is a social institution. That the church is on earth to cure all of the ills of mankind. That we're to be some kind of social agency and then there are some that believe the church is a building one goes to to worship god much like the temple was in the time of israel what is the biblical definition of the church well we get this definition it's first the word church first appears to us in the gospel of matthew chapter 16 and verse 18, if you want to turn there real quick. Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. In Matthew 16, 18 is the famous dialogue between the Lord and his disciples. Where the Lord asked the disciples, Who do men say that I am? And if you remember this dialogue, they answer. And some answer and say, well, some say you're, you're a prophet. You're a mighty prophet of God. Others say, Elijah. Some say, Jeremiah. Some say, John the Baptist come back from the dead. And the Lord turns to his disciples, and he says to them very pointedly, but who do you say that I am? Now, if you remember the story, you know that it is Peter who jumps up. And Peter says, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord Jesus looks at Peter and he says, Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. And then he says that thou art Peter, verse 18. And he also said that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I wish, I think I've done this before, to take the time to say what is the rock and all the other, we don't have time for that today, that's not the context. What I'm calling your attention to, it is the Lord Jesus who uses this word church. Now the Greek word for the word church being used there is ecclesia. Ecclesia. It's very similar in Spanish. Iglesia. Very, very similar. And ecclesia means an assembly. It is a religious assembly. It is an assembly of people. Primarily, it is used about people who are called out from the world 
to worship God. These are those that belong to the invisible kingdom of God on earth. Who comprises the invisible kingdom? It is every born-again believer that are followers of Jesus Christ. The English word church comes from the Greek word, which means belonging to the Lord. Belonging to the Lord. The church, as Christ defined it, it's not an ordinary assembly of people. It is an assembly of called out ones. They are called out in Christ. That is the church. That is the formal definition. It is those who are called out from the world and called out to follow Christ. Those that have been born again, those that have been saved, those who have come to Jesus Christ in repentance and in faith. And I conclude that the church is the community of believers. That's what our sixth pillar says right here. The church is the community of believers. John MacArthur says this, and I like this definition. A church is a gathering of people who then make this common confession about Christ from the incarnation to the glorification of Christ and everything in between. We are known by the accuracy and the faithfulness of our Christology of our belief in Christ. In Matthew 6.18, we see Christ builds the church. And I want to call your attention. He says He is going to build His church. He's going to build His church. And by the way, He's building that church based on the confession that Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. That is the big boulder. That is the big cliff that Jesus talks about. He is Lord of the church. And I want to emphasize this. The church is not a work of man. It is not a work of man. Listen, you know what's really cool? I'm going to tell you what's really cool. All over the world on this day, people from every tribe, every tongue, every kindred, every kind, every nation, the called out ones of Christ met someplace, somewhere on this day. Some may be meeting in mighty cathedrals. Some may be meeting in churches that seat 5,000, 6,000, 10,000. But the vast majority of believers are congregating in small groups. Small groups of 10, 20, 30. You don't believe me? Pick up the Voice of Martyr magazine in the back and look at what they define as a church. They're meeting in jungles. They're meeting in forests. They're meeting in barns. Some are meeting in secret places for fear of persecution. But they are all coming out. The called out ones to Jesus Christ are coming out on this day, on Sunday, the Lord's Day. And they are coming together as the Scripture mandates. As the Scripture commands. They are coming out. They are assembling together. They are joining arms and they are joining hearts together in this common confession of Jesus Christ. And we do likewise. We do likewise. If you are saved, if you have been born again, if you have come to Christ in repentance and faith, if you worship the one true God, if you worship the mighty three in one, if you come together and have been saved through the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. You are my brother and sister in Jesus Christ. And together, in the name of Christ, it's not a burden. What a privilege. Listen, 
What a privilege it is to gather together in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. A privilege that many Christians do not have. Or they have it at the risk of their life. At the risk of the life of their children and their family. They have it in the midst of persecution. I shared about with all of you about my friend Pastor Julio who remains in Haiti and has a church in Haiti with a school and is feeding families and feeding children and proclaiming the gospel. And what did he get for that? A few weeks ago, his son was murdered in Haiti. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of what it takes to follow Christ. Listen, church, we're not there. As, as, as bad as we think the days are and what we watch on TV, no one's coming in this room with guns ablazing, shooting at us. And when you leave here, nobody's going to follow you home and try to drive you off the road or kidnap you. But believers all over the world are facing this. Why? Because of the privilege to come together as a church in the name of Jesus Christ. Don't lose this, please. Don't trifle away this great honor that God has given us to assemble as a church, to come together in Christ. Don't treat it as if it's another option on any other different day. This is the Lord's day. This is the day that the Lord had said. We read in our scripture reading Psalm 20, uh, 122, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go unto the house of the Lord. What a great privilege that God has given His people to assemble in His name. Listen, it is Christ's church. Christ is the head. Paul says this in his Letters to the Colossians and to the Ephesians. Colossians 1.18, speaking of Christ, he says, He, meaning Christ, is also the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. Praise God that Christ would have first place in everything. Listen to what he tells the church at Ephesus, Ephesians 1.22-23. He put all things in subjection under His feet and gave Him, Christ, as head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Hey, I'm not the head of this church. Praise God for that. huh? But the Lord Jesus Christ is. How much a higher reverence and honor it is to be a follower of Christ, to be obedient, to meet in His church as one. What is the church? It's the universal body of believers worldwide of all time. Christ is the head. Not a pope, not a priest, not a rabbi, not a minister, not a bishop, not an archbishop. It is Christ. Christ is the head of the church. It doesn't belong to deacons, elders, pastors, or anything else. Christ is the head of the church. What was the first, the very first foundational pillar that we studied? The church is built on Jesus Christ as Lord. The Holy Scriptures declared that Christ loved the church so much that he died. He died for the church. Therefore, if we submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and if Christ is to have preeminence in all things, then the church of Jesus Christ is to have preeminence in our life. Because Christ loved the church so much that Christ died for the church. So let's look at this sixth pillar. The church is the community of believers. And we define it on our website as follows. The church is the divine plan for all believers in Jesus Christ. 
as believers, we come together for edification by the Word of God, encouragement of the believers, and preparation for ministry. This is the community of believers in Christ. I want to stop there. This is how we define it. The church is God's divine plan. I want, to, I want to stop right there. It is God's plan for His people to worship Him in the context of the church. I wish you could have been with us this morning at Sunday school. We went, were walking through the book of Exodus and we were going through the Ten Commandments. And we were talking through the issue of the Sabbath. I don't have time to reprocess it. But one of the things I said is I believe there is a Sabbath principle that remains. And that Sabbath principle is this. We see through church, through the Scriptures, that the first church began meeting on Sunday, the first day of the week, that the Sabbath was directly given to Israel, and that consequently, as they came together to meet, and we're going to look at that in the Scriptures in just a moment, and as we're taught in the Scriptures that we're not to forsake the assembling of the brethren, this is given to us as a command, not a suggestion. Therefore, the principle is that we are to gather weekly, corporately, as a church. Right? And therefore, that is the Sabbath principle because this is the day of the Lord. This is the Lord's day. This day belongs to the Lord. And so as believers, we should try to keep this day holy, separated unto God. Now listen, I know that people have to work. It's just unfortunate. I know that has to happen. And if you're one of those people that have to work on Sunday, I'm not condemning you. I'm not doing that. But we consciously should have in our heart to separate Sunday as holy and sacred unto the Lord. The church is God's plan. It's His divine plan for the believers. The church was never intended to be optional in someone's life. If it was intended to be optional for someone's life, do you think our Lord Jesus Christ would die for the church? No. He died for the church to sanctify the church, to make it holy, to set it apart completely unto Him. That is the purpose of the church. The church is holy. And the church isn't like Costco's or BJ's that you walk down the aisle and you take and pluck what you like and you leave all the other stuff you don't. The church is the plan for the believers so that believers could come together as one body. One body. You notice, it is one church comprised of many believers. Just like it is one God, Elohim, comprised of many. We come to, we have this privilege. Oh my goodness, church, we have this privilege to come together and hear the Word of God. I'm not reading to you some kind of lecture I put together. We're coming from the Word of God. We're opening. What do we come together for? We come together for the edification of the Word. What does that mean? My job as a pastor teacher is to open the Word of God to you so that you can process the Word of God, so that it can prepare you for ministry, so that you can leave the church and go into the world, all of us, empowered by the gospel. I've said this time and time again, I've never met a person who professes the name of Jesus Christ, who doesn't spend time in prayer, who does not spend time in study of the Word of God, and who does not participate in a church, who is a powerful, vibrant believer, and there's a reason for that. That person doesn't exist. That is that three-legged stool. Prayer, the study of the Word of God, and the fellowship and the service within the church. Listen, 
You know, it's been said that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, right? Now, I want you to think about this. I really want you to think about this. We know through church history, and we know through the New Testament and the Old Testament, right? We know that there were those who gave, who spilled their blood for the sake. We don't have to go any further than the 12 disciples, all of whom were martyred for the case of Jesus Christ, for the cause of Christ. And then their disciples were martyred. And even to this current day, it is Christians who are the number one persecuted people group in the world today. It's not the Palestinians. It is believers who are being persecuted for their faith. Now I want you to think about this. Real people spilled real blood and gave their lives so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would advance through the church. Through the church. And yet for some people, the church is one of many options for them on a Sunday. And some are just content to go Sunday. You know, we... While we don't, you know, we, we, we have church on Sunday here and we have Sunday school and we have Tuesday night Bible study where, praise God, God is blessing and causing great growth on Tuesday night. And we have Wednesday night prayer meeting. We have different fellowships. This Saturday will be our fellowship to, for Thanksgiving. Many times when I have been down or I have been frustrating, it has been frustrated, it has been some of you in the church who have rallied to my side and encouraged me. 99% of the time, you never knew I was frustrated or may have been down. But you just gave me a word, you showed me love. And I pray that I encourage you in, in that way as well. Hey, this is God's divine plan. And we get, it. we get the privilege and the opportunity to carry this out every day. Every day. To be part of the plan of God. But if we take a, if we take a worldly view of the church, if we take a very me-centric view of the church, if we are the ones who say, well, it doesn't have this, it doesn't have that, or I don't like this person, or I don't like that person, or if it is one of many different options for a person on Sunday, well, then there's that indifference toward Christ and toward His church. And I will tell you this with no qualms whatsoever. Indifference is not pleasing to the Lord. When the Lord gave his life for this church to be indifferent to that sacrifice is not pleasing to the Lord. God has ordained the local church as the pinnacle of Christian fellowship and unity. It is the local church. It is the local church that is commissioned to declare the gospel. Just like we saw in our third pillar, the church is gospel proclaiming. That ministry was given to the church. And we're the ones that are to go out and to serve the local church, the autonomous church, the autonomous body. We are the heralds of the gospel. You ever think about that? We have been called to proclaim God's truth. The church is to gather believers in Jesus Christ who are united by faith in Christ in this invisible union of the body of Christ. And it is compelled, the believers are compelled by the testimony of Jesus Christ. We're compelled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're compelled to live our lives under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And through the Holy Spirit's work, this compulsion propels believers to serve the local church.
So what are some of the characteristics? We've already seen through the five pillars some of the characteristics, and they're up there before you. We've already established that the church is built upon Jesus Christ as Lord, that the church is built upon the Word of God, that the church is gospel-proclaiming, that the church is missional. We've established that the church is focused on godly worship, and these are all essential truths that we should look for in any church. You should constantly be looking at our church. Are we being faithful to these seven pillars? Now, I want you to consider this. I want you to consider this early description of the first church. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start in verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And what happened? What's the context right before this? Well, the context before this is Pentecost had already fell. Thousands had been saved. And now they're coming out and they're meeting. Look at verse 42. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. And many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together. And they had all things in common. I want to call to your attention four key principles here. As we look, the local church practiced several things after their salvation in Christ. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they were saved at Pentecost, brought together in genuine worship, unencumbered by any protocol or doctrine. And notice the four things they came together. We'll take a look at it. Here's number one. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That's number one. They came together, the apostles' teaching, for the Word of God. That's what they came together. They didn't come together merely to hear it. They came together to obey it. There's a big difference. James talks about don't be hearers of the Word of God and not doers. Because if you're a hearer of the Word of God, you only deceive yourself. If what you hear is not put into practice in your life, then what you're hearing, you're not apprehending by faith. Every Sunday when we preach the Word of God, the Holy Spirit speaks to hearts. And when the Holy, speaks, the Holy Spirit speaks to heart, we are to take that and apprehend that by faith, and that becomes practice in our life. Notice what the first church did. They came together for the apostles' teaching, for this was the authoritative word of God. Now that word devoted, it's an interesting word. They devoted themselves. That word devoted there means they persisted, they persevered. They persevered in the apostles' teaching. Why is it that when you come to church here at Calvary, it is the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word, the Word? I had somebody complain many years ago, a few years ago. Somebody came over to me and complained. And they said, you're always pounding the Word of God. You're always pounding it. You're pounding it. And sometimes it's not gentle. And I stopped and I paused. I said, God, give me mercy and give me grace. I said, well, are you talking about the fact that I always present the gospel in the Word of God and I always warn about the consequences of sin? Yeah. I said, oh. Yeah, that's on purpose. I said, I know I pound the Word of God. I'm going to keep pounding it. Because it is the Word of God that shatters the heart. Didn't the prophet Jeremiah say, Is not thy word a hammer that shattereth the stone? What am I going to break that hard heart with? It can only be the Word of God as I give the Word of God, as I give the Word of God. If somebody is lost out there in sin, it is only the Word of God that breaks that hard heart. It's only the Word of God that takes that heart of stone and gives it a heart of flesh. 
What, you want to hear my opinions on politics and culture? You don't want to hear that. You want to hear some nice moral story about how you could be a better this or a better that? You're not going to hear it. My job as a pastor, my job as a as a minister of the Word of God, is not to give you what I think, it is to give you what the Word of God says. Just as the prophet said, thus saith the Lord. We say today through the Word of God, thus saith the Lord. They came together. They persevered. They persisted in the apostles' teaching. They were built up On the Word of God, the church is built on the Word of God. The second thing they came together for. We see here, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Now, I'm going to say something here. Don't uh, Don't get all bent out of shape here. But it's been my experience of many years in the church that... Fellowship is the number one thing. My wife knows this. I've often said fellowship is overrated. But that is not the godly fellowship that they were coming together for. See, when fellowship is about us getting together just to have a good time, and in that fellowship we ignore God and His grace and His goodness, well then that's the same fellowship I could get in the world with my neighbors and my secular friends. I could get together with my secular friends, sit down, watch a good college football game, have a lot of fun. I could do that. It's not sanctified. It's not holy. When the church assembles for fellowship, it is around the common confession of Christ. It is fellowship because the believers are of one spirit. We have been born again by the Spirit. So we see here they came together for fellowship. And that word fellowship there in the Greek means partnership. They came together in sharing. They came together in communion. They were of one belief. They were of one heart. Therefore, when they gathered, there was true fellowship. The Greek word koinonia. And they did this because they were united in Christ. Young and old, male and female, they weren't broken apart into groups. They didn't say, hey, we're going to have the fellowship, but you know, 8 to 12-year-olds, you go here, and 16. They didn't do that. It was one church. One church, young and old. Hey, young people, can you learn something from some of the old geezers like myself? Yeah, you can. And can the blonde-haired people learn something from the dark-haired people like myself? Yeah, you can. You know, what you see in a lot of these churches today is nothing, nothing spiritual. It came out of Madison Avenue. It's basically demographics. Well, let's put all these people together because they're all relational with one another. Hey, in the early churches, the older men mentored the younger men. How's that for, for something? And the the older, more mature woman mentored the younger women. They were bound together in Jesus Christ. They were interdependent, not independent. Interdependent means they were like links in a chain. They all dependent on each other. That's the way the church is supposed to work. The church is supposed to be an interdependent body of believers. They not only needed each other, but you know what's pretty cool? They desired each other. They desired. I want to be with my brothers and sisters. I wake up on Sunday mornings. I get initially pumped. I get excited. Because I like being all together. And I like pressing the flesh, if you could say that. And I like seeing the different people and talking to the different people. I come together excited. 
And I always come, Lord, what can you do today? Father, what are you going to do in our church today? Father, is this the day? Is this the day you're going to break through? Is this the day for revival? Is this the day for awakening? I do not come to church. Oh, I've got to go to church. What time do you think we're going to be out of there? You think we can get lunch later at this? Man, you've got to get excited for this stuff. I came in this morning in tears, did I not? I came in in tears as I was worshiping the Lord in my car. I stopped everything they were doing. I said, listen to this, and I played a song for them. And we worshiped the Lord with our hands raised and tears streaming down our eyes. That was the first thing I did when we got here this morning. I said, praise God. It's Sunday, it's the Lord's Day. Let's take a look at the third thing. It says, and they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. They were coming together. Boy, these people couldn't get enough of each other. They were coming together to have their meals together. Look at verse 45 there of Acts chapter 2. And they began, to, uh, they began selling their property and possessions, and they were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Now we know that they were sitting under the apostles' teaching and authority. And they were teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the gospel of Christ clearly says that we're responsible for those that are more needy. But notice their response. Here we see that the early church responded in faith. Even if it meant they needed to sell some of their possessions to take care of another brother or sister in Jesus Christ. That's love, man. That's unity. That's coming together in the name of Jesus Christ. And this text indicates that they were so concerned and they were so moved by the Holy Spirit to care for each other. We always say at the end of announcements, Brother Mike says it all the time, hey man, if you, don't see, if you see somebody who's not here, would you reach out and give them a phone call? I don't know how many of you do that. I don't know. The admonishment is constantly there. Will you reach out? Will you call somebody? Will you encourage somebody to come? That has to become genuine. That has to become an authentic sentiment. It was there in the early church. There was an ever-present love among them. And it does not appear that they were self-absorbed. You know, it does not appear to say, i got to get out of here. It's 12 o'clock. i got to go to lunch. I got to catch the jet game or the giant game or the dolphin game or whatever game. They didn't care. They loved one another. They had this in common. And we need this. We need this as a church. We need this. And of course, here comes the fourth thing. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to breaking of bread and to prayer. Listen, church. This is the vital link. This is the vital link. This is the vital link in the church and it is the least attended service in 99.9% of churches. They came together to pray, to seek, to worship the Lord through prayer. Not through singing. Through prayer they came. And many churches have forsaken the prayer meeting because it's poorly attended. And I'll tell you what, in speaking to other pastor friends that I have, this is universal. Universal. I don't know one who says that this is not true. In speaking to the other pastors I know, the prayer meeting is the least attended meeting for the church. And that's true of our church as well. I don't understand why so many people who are struggling don't come out and pray. Now we have a prayer meeting every Wednesday night, 7 o'clock. It'll be on the announcements again today. It's 7 o'clock, and we've been doing it for, for quite some time. I want to share something with you. 
this past Wednesday, those assembled prayed for two hours. We got on at 7, we got off at 9 o'clock. Let me tell you something. What a time of prayer that was. And I want to tell you what we pray for. No one came forward and said, Lord, I need this. Lord, I need that. Lord, I'm sick. We have a hard, fast rule. When we come together to pray, we don't pray for ourselves. So you might logically ask, what do you pray for? We pray for you. We pray for this body. We pray that God is going to move in our midst, that God is going to rend the heavens, He's going to tear the heavens, and God is going to come down, that God is going to bring awakening and revival, and that God is going to do a work in our midst far beyond anything we could ever imagine or think of. And I want to share something else. We pray for that through tears. There's weeping on our prayer call. We are so urgently begging God, pleading with God to move, that it moves many of us to tears. And I can tell you, there's been other times on that prayer meeting where we move the hand of God and I believe that the future of this church is predicated on God's people praying and pleading God for a move of this church, a move of this body. Prayer is the vital link. It is the vital link. We commune with God. We worship. We worship God in our prayers. If you could listen to how often we say, Lord, we praise you. Lord, we thank you. Lord, we exalt you. Lord, we give you the glory. Lord, let your name be glorified. Lord, 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 as we pray and pray and pray and go before God. And we want him to hear that. Because why? Because we believe that if my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves, shall seek my face, shall turn from their wicked ways, that God will indeed hear from heaven. He will indeed heal their land and He will indeed forgive sins. And it is such a glorious experience. And we see that the early church did the same. I talked about this a little bit last week. We talked about worship, right? That the Churches focus on godly worship, and I shared with you last week, singing is not worship, and worship is not singing. Yet we can worship the Lord, as we do in our service, through the worship of song. But you know what you worship the Lord to? In prayer. As a matter of fact, it's probably the definitive point of worship. And when the church gets out of the me-centric type of mentality and is concerned with all of their needs, but is concerned with the glory of God, your prayers change. Your heart change alongside. Lord, I don't need a tenth of the things that I think I need. But what I do know I need is You, God. I need your presence. I need your glory. I desire to see your glory. I desire to see the glory of Christ fill His church. Listen. Give me ten people filled with the Holy Spirit desirous for the glory of God over ten thousand deadheads in the church. I'll take the ten people every time. I want to be in the presence of God. I am tired. I'm speaking for myself now. I am tired of artificiality. I am tired of people whose heads are inflated with so much doctrine, but whose hearts are so far from God. And I don't discount doctrine. 
But there's more to the Christian life than knowledge. What did Paul say? Knowledge puffs up. But love edifies the heart. Oh, church, if we could be men and women of God who desire to see the glory of God and desire to see and choose the things of God, what could God do with our church? What could God do? I'm believing God for a day when the Spirit of God is going to come down, where our hearts are going to be broken, where we'll be repentant before the Lord for all the shiny objects of the world and all the indifference that we have. I'm believing God that a day is going to come in this church when the sinner is going to walk in and the presence of God is going to be so great that the sinner is going to fall on their face and say, truly God is among them. And I'm believing God for a day when the backslidden, when the, when the indifferent Christian walks into the church and he falls on his face and says, truly God is in this place. I'm believing God for that. I'm believing God. If the day I die, if I die at 70 or if I die at 170, that last day I'm going to be believing God, Father, you're going to have that. That is going to happen, Lord. You're going to pour down your spirit. We have to believe this, folks. This is when the rubber meets the road. Why have we settled for an imitation Christianity? Why have we settled for cultural Christianity when the real thing is right before us? I want to be like that first church in Acts 2, 42, 43. I want to come together as a church for the apostles' teaching. I want to come together for that Holy Spirit fellowship. I want to come together for the breaking of bread and taking our meals together. I want to come together as a church in Christ, in prayer, and worship the Lord. So what were the results? Were there results to this? Look at Acts 46, 2, 46 and 47. And day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want to call your attention to the first sentence. And day by day, continuing with one mind. One mind. The church was united. They were united in doctrine. They were united in heart. They were united in purpose. This group of people of varying backgrounds were one people before God. One people before God. And they were committed to the church. They were committed to the local church. They were together in one mind. You know what that translates into? Being of the same passion. In church, there's an incorrect notion out there that says something like this. I don't get anything out of church. Most people who say this do not put anything into the church. We must have the same passion in the church. To serve God. Christ. To the believers in Jesus Christ, to those of you who have been born again, saved by the blood of Jesus, God has given you at least one spiritual gift. One spiritual gift. Now here's the question. Where is that gift to be employed? It's not to be employed at your job. It's not to be employed at your house. That gift given to you is to be employed in the church for the service of Christ. So no church, no use of the gift. I've stated this many times, Christianity is not a spectator sport. The Christian is called to serve Christ not as a solitary free agent, but within the local church. For the longest time, our church has had many needs. Our church has had many needs. 
And consequently, because some of those things not being met, we've limited our outreach. Listen, the future of the church is upon praying people who step up and say, Lord, I'm going to take the ball. I'm going to advance. I'm going to go further. We always have financial needs. Always. This has been a rough year for the church. And we have financial needs, and we need people to help meet those financial needs. We have needs for the conference. We have need of every member and attendee to support the church ministry financially. We need to minister to our children and to our next generation and raise up programs to minister to them. We have discipleship needs, services needs, one to another, evangelistic needs, and the list goes on and on and on. We need to be of the same mind, one to another. Are we all engaged in the same thing? What does it mean to be a member of the church? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus Christ? We need to have one definition. We need to come together for teaching, for fellowship, for the breaking of bread, and for prayer. And we need the Holy Ghost authority and the Holy Ghost power. We need that. If we are the church the community of believers. Truly born again, spirit-filled Christians. It shouldn't be a chore or a burden. It shouldn't. It should be something that is pleasurable. So what will our response be to this? Next week we're going to take a look at the second part of this. The church is the community of believers. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father,